Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host for this podcast. Uh, many caregivers at some point or another find themselves in a hospital waiting room. So a loved one has had an unforeseen medical emergency and you anxiously await the results. Or perhaps your loved one has a long-term medical issue that has you in and out of hospitals all the time. Doctors, nurses, other hospital staff are often very helpful when at the hospital. But what happens when something goes wrong or doesn't feel right or you need information? What can you do to advocate for your loved ones as a caregiver? And what resources are available once you go home? As always on Prepare to Care, um, we've got answers for you. Today, we'll be talking about two things, the AARP CARE Act that just passed into law in Texas, and then we're going to be hearing from a helpful tips from a patient advocate here in Houston, Bonnie Shireen, who is going to tell us how to make sure your loved one is being taken care of appropriately. So, if you think only doctors have a say in what happens at hospitals, I'm encouraging you to think again. Coming up on Prepare to Care. So uh, first, um, here is um, uh, Isabel Longoria from the ARP Foundation. Isabel, uh, you've heard her before. Um, Isabel, what's your title here at ARP? I am actually with the ARP State Office, and I cover outreach and advocacy in Houston. Okay, so um, Isabel, thank you for coming today. You're here to tell us of a new law here in Texas. Yes, so it's a law that actually passed on September 1st when most laws go into effect in Texas, and it's something we're very proud of. Um, and that AARP has been working on nationally, and it's called the CARE Act, C-A-R-E, and that stands for Caregiving Advice Record Enable Act. Um, and, and what it does, if I had to sum it up in one sentence, is it requires that hospitals uh, to take reasonable steps to notify caregivers about discharge plans and how to show the caregiver how to perform follow-up medical tasks for their loved one when they're kind of let go from the hospital. So what, what does that mean? Like somebody's in the hospital, they're discharged, and then I yeah. say I'm the caregiver for that person, and they have to teach me like what? Exactly. So here's what often happens and why this came about is um, you have a patient, right? I have my grandmother who is in and out of the hospital sometimes for diabetes or whatever it may be. Um, sometimes I go with her, right? But sometimes there's a medical emergency and she's been taken by ambulance to the hospital. Um, all of a sudden she comes back home um, and she says well you know I went to the hospital everything's fine they gave me this medication here it is and then I'm left to figure out well how often are you supposed to take this medication what actually happened when you were at the hospital Um, or perhaps sometimes people have catheters right or other kind of um, you know they need intravenous medication they just have all this hardware and you're like well I didn't go to medical school I have no idea what this is (laughs) Who do I call? What do I do to make sure that we're following up appropriately with the kind of follow-up care? And so what this act says is if there is a caregiver, right, my grandmother can now say in her official hospital records, hey, anytime I get discharged from my hospital stay, please call my granddaughter Isabel and notify her of my discharge plan. Um, and, and the nurses have to do, you know, make a reasonable effort. So it doesn't mean, you know, the nurses have to track me down at home, bang on my door and make sure I'm listening, but they have to make a reasonable effort to call or contact me and say, hey, 
your grandmother came in, maybe she forgot, maybe she got confused, but she's supposed to be taking her medication every six hours, and we asked her to follow up with her primary care physician in, uh, physician in two weeks. Okay. Easy peasy. Well, thank you, Isabel. Um, Bonnie, so you are a patient advocate, and I, I met you a few weeks ago, and you always have lots of stories about people in hospitals. What are your first impressions about this new law? Oh, I think it's great. I think it just, I've seen discharge plans that are blank, and that is terrible because that leaves the family just totally alone, and they don't know what to do, and they don't know who to reach out to, and uh, they all need to be on this. This looks like it's going to put everybody on the same page, okay. which is an excellent thing because it's going to have better outcomes for the patient as well. So, I mean, I, I can't see anything but good from coming from this. So you are a patient advocate. What is that? I mean, people like love the idea of patient advocates, right? But are there like different kinds of patient advocate? What kind are you? When are people likely to meet a patient advocate? I am an independent patient advocate, and basically I belong to two national associations, and we're spread out across the country and Canada, actually. And basically what we do is we're hired by the family or the client or whoever needs us to come in and advocate for them. Because sometimes people feel like they're not being heard by the doctors, by the hospitals, that sort of thing. Most of us have like a medical background. I have a patient education background from the med center. So basically what we do is we come in and while everybody might be upset or angry or whatever, because it is a very emotional time. When you feel like you're not being heard, it's, it's really hard to be very logical and calm. So I come in and I can get everybody on the, I can ask the right questions and get everybody on the same page and make sure everybody is you know, that everybody understands what's going on so that that loved one is getting the best possible care they can get. Also, what we do too is we really highlight their values because a doctor might say, well, we're gonna give, put this person, you know, in a wheelchair and or do this or do that. And that might not be their value. They may wanna walk as soon as possible. You might say, no, no, we need aggressive physical therapy. This person loves to hike. They like to garden. They like to, you know, and, and what doctors and nurses will do is one size fits all. They'll just give you instructions just like you're anybody, right? They, same, same instructions for everybody. But the advocate can step in with the family's values and say, this is kind of what we need, and this is where we'd like to go. So for, for caregivers, like I, I thought there were also patient advocates that were already in the hospital that were supposed to help me maybe when I was there, uh, either during the hospital to stay at the time of discharge. Is that like different from what you do? Well, actually, uh, the, the hospital patient advocates, they go by different names. Sometimes they're patient liaisons. They have a variety of names. They usually are more kind of like the nicer things, like you know your room's the wrong temperature, the blankets, you didn't get a blanket, you know, things like that, you didn't like your food, that sort of thing. The people that really, really know what's going on is the case managers and the social workers. But sometimes people feel like those people aren't giving them every all the information they need. They feel like they want somebody on their side who's not with the hospital. Wait a minute, so I'm gonna interrupt you here. I've been in the hospital before, right? I had no idea, I had a case manager. Does everybody have a case manager? Yes. 
And like, it's really important to get a hold of that person? You should. Actually, when you go in the hospital, this one uh, advocate I know, she has this great um, trick that she does. She has a notebook and she has everybody come in and sign in with their title, like who they are, saying, we're going to write a letter to the administration after we leave here and say how wonderful, what a wonderful job you did. So they come in and they write down their names so you know who everybody is, what they are. A lot of times you have no idea who's coming in your room. The case manager may have <clears throat> come and gone, basically, but you may not even know that that person was the case manager. Because they're not going to necessarily introduce themselves as such? No. Huh, so here I am. I'm caring for a loved one, right? And then these people come in and out, right? The people drawing bloods, the nurses. And I could... So this person has like a little bit of a trick to figure out who is everybody is, right? So the, the case, what's the role of a case manager at the hospital? What do they do? They're usually uh, former nurses. And basically they pull everything together and make sure that, you know, everything's, you know, medically in line. So basically, they're the ones that should be writing herd on you know the doctor's orders for the discharge because doctors will be here, there, and everywhere, and they should be pulling it together. But just like everybody else in the hospital, they are overworked. Okay. And they have so many patients, so things fall between the cracks. Okay. So, but one piece of advice that I'm hearing is try to find out who that case manager is, right? Yes. Can you go to the nurse station and ask who that is? Do you have a right to find out? Oh, yes. <clears throat> I've done that for clients. I've actually pulled a case manager out of a meeting so that we could get some information on a discharge. So, so you um, can ask for a meeting mm -hmm. with your case manager? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And explain to them, you know, what you feel like you're lacking, you know, to get your, you know, the optimal care for your loved one. And they should understand that. I mean, sometimes it's hard because in the hospital they're very rushed and they're very, you know, frazzled and things like that. So sometimes, you know, they can be a little abrupt, you know, but if you just, everybody talks very calmly. I always tell people to be a, a squeaky wheel, but a nice squeaky wheel. Okay, you be a nice squeaky wheel, but don't, don't take anything, don't take everything from, for granted, is what I'm hearing. Correct, because, I mean, you just, uh, you know, people forget. Uh, there's a lot of the electronic health records now. If they don't click the right boxes, sometimes things don't show up. Uh, there's just a lot of different ways there can be disconnects. And a lot of people think that it's, you know, like somebody's trying to be mean, you know, while doing this. No, sometimes it's just, you know, being human. And, you know, all of us forget things, all of us, you know, leave things off or do typos or something like that. But in a medical situation, that's much more important. So it's just need to have somebody there to kind of double check everything and make sure that everything got written down and all the person's wishes and values are honored. Interesting. So well, you are in the hospital like this um, and you see lots of electronic things, lots of stuff going on. If, if you have a hunch as a caregiver that something's not quite right, what would be your advice? Well, let's see. Um, well, sometimes, like, yeah, the case manager, the social worker can also be a great helper. Once again, they have too many patients. They're usually overworked um, and underpaid. Uh, but they are a big help as far as, you know, knowing 
transportation, housing, you know, they know a lot of resources, that sort of thing. So does everybody get to sign a social worker as they well? Should. Only like big cases. They should, but sometimes a social worker, if they think everything's okay, okay, they won't come around. They'll concentrate. They have so much to do. They'll concentrate on the people that need them the most, or or tell them that they need them the most. So, um, I have friends, you know, um, mom is suspected of having Alzheimer, but she fakes it when she's in the hospital, right? So that people don't think she has Alzheimer. Social worker comes and she says, "Oh, everything is hunky dory." As the main person of the caregiver, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not the case. But that social worker came and went. Can I contact the social worker and, and kind of ring the bell and say, it's not hunky-dory, we're, we're concerned about her mm -hmm. cooking, and how, how do I do that? Yes, you can definitely do that. You can definitely you know, talk to the social worker about your concerns. You can say, I think that's really valuable because, you know, they come in and out and they're there for just a few minutes. So they might come in, like you said, and think, oh my gosh, this person is doing great, you know, that sort of thing. And then they walk back out, but you know that that person is not okay. You, you've seen them for years and years and years. You know this is not them. This is vastly different than what they normally do. So I think, you know, kind of expressing that concern with a concrete objective like in other words i am concerned about her safety in the home so what can we do about that so i don't i don't know anything about hospitals right i went there when i give birth to my child and then that was it right and i'm thinking oh my god if i went to hospital tomorrow i wouldn't even know where to start right so um one way is to get a patient advocate, but like, can you walk to a nurse's station and ask like who your social worker and like who who do you who do you go to? Well, one thing I tell people is try not to be in the hospital alone. Okay, that's very important. Um, mistakes get made. Uh, sometimes you know people get in a rush. Uh, sometimes the wrong medication might be given, whatever, it's good to have somebody there to ask questions. Because a person who is the patient, they don't feel well. Hmm. They're either sick or they're in pain or they're whatever. And who wants to sit there and ask a bunch of questions when you're not feeling great? So it just really, really helps. Um, and I heard about this one case where the woman had had like some kind of surgery and she couldn't reach the remote to call the nurse. And so she sat there in pain all night long and because she couldn't move her hand enough to get reach the That's terrible. Right. It is. And so if you have somebody there, they can, you know, and I've done it for my family members. I go with them. I stay with them. I go to the nurse's station. I go get ice chips. You know, um, the nurses, they have way too many uh, patients to see. So the little bitty things, uh, comfort things, sometimes will fall definitely between the cracks. So, yeah. So, it, go with someone. Yes. If you are with the someone, what I'm hearing is there's like a, a power thing. You know, those doctors come with the lab coats and you're like, oh, I don't know. Should I ask questions? What is your advice on, on how to talk the, to them? The Mayo Clinic just put out a big research paper called Patients as Hostages. Hmm. And the Mayo Clinic put that out, which is huge for them to put that out where there's that power differential where the person feels like they feel intimidated, they feel like they can't talk to that person. But you know, if you ask a question of a doctor and they get angry, then you need another doctor basically, or you need to 
you know, just be politely insistent and just say, I really need to understand this. I know, doctor, that you're rushed. I know that you're busy. I know that you may, you know, be frustrated that we don't understand, but we really need to know so that, you know, our loved one, you know, that you have a successful outcome for your patient and that our loved one, you know, has the optimal care. I can tell you're kicking in your patient advocate <laughs> talk right here. So yes. is that like how you go about it? Yes. You're like, I'm going to keep cool here, but I'm going to be to the point. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, and, and, and it can be different people. Like one discharge, there was no instructions. So basically, I got the director of nursing, and she had no idea. And sometimes people in the upper echelons, they have no idea this is going on. Huh. She looked at the discharge paper, and she was like, this is terrible. But since she's in an office, she's an administrator, she has no idea. So sometimes people think that if the lower people make mistakes, like the administration is right behind them. No, not necessarily. Sometimes the administration does not know what's going on at these lower levels. So sometimes, to me, it's not accusatory. It's just educational. Right. Like the director of nursing, like, hi, did you know we don't have anything on this discharge plan? She's like, no, we need to fix that. So I think it's more of a cooperative effort versus, you know, a angry or, you know, accusatory or whatever. So if you're going to do it alone, right, and you're going to be your own advocate, pick a buddy to go in the hospital with you, or if you're the caregiver, be in that mode. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing, the recommendation is like, calm, calm, and collected, but, but instant, the nice squeaky wheel, right? If you want to go into the direction of choosing an independent patient advocate, is there like a threshold? Do people like contact independent advocate for like the big things or the small things? And how do they go about choosing a patient advocate? Well, they basically, um, one of my colleagues in Atlanta says, they, she wishes people would call us when they smell smoke, but they call us when the fire is shooting out of the house, right? Okay. So usually we're called for the big stuff when things have gone vastly wrong. Okay. But I'm hoping to do a lot of educational outreach this year and start making people more proactive and a little bit more empowered. We'd all love to see more empowered patients that, because if people just had a little bit of um, knowledge base to work from, I think, you know, there'd be a lot more transparency in medicine. There'd be a lot more, you know, everybody would be happier, um, you know, I think it just works so much better. And they can work in partnership with their healthcare team. And the healthcare team would appreciate that because they want a compliant patient. They want somebody who follows their orders. They don't want somebody who goes, yes, 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 we'll do that, then goes home and does none of it. So that's the other role of the patient advocate. You follow up on the patient also and make sure they do what they're supposed to do? Yes. Because, oh, interesting. Because sometimes, you know, they might say, you know, that person has congestive heart failure, they need to weigh themselves every day. Well, I heard this one case where the patient couldn't see the scale because she didn't have good glasses. Oh. So here they're telling her to weigh herself every day and her glasses aren't up to date. She can't see the numbers on the scale, but she doesn't tell the doctor because she's just sitting there going, yes, 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 doctor, yes. I weigh myself every day. And the doctor, she comes back in, she's admitted to the hospital just a few weeks later. Doctor goes, did you weigh yourself? Yes, I did. And she just gives a random number or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and, and never says, I couldn't see the numbers on the scale. So you were the in-between person. You're, yes. You're the person who is trusted because you are hired, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you, you deal with both the patient and the doctor. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So um, what is the biggest, uh, 
like advantage you think of a patient advocate? Oh, I think, uh, well, for one thing, I mean, my group, we're always in contact with each other. We're always discussing on our national forum. Like if somebody runs into a problem, we all try to work through it together. We're all kind of putting out the latest, like the, the Mayo Clinic about the patients as hostage that was put on the forum. We're all trying to keep up with the latest, you know, that's going on. The Moon Act, the Observation Act, the, um, you know, everything that comes up, we try to keep ourselves as well informed as possible and as educated as possible so that we can be there for patients so that when they have questions, when they have problems, we have this vast resource that we can uh, draw on. But we're not making decisions for the patients. We're presenting them with enough you know, information that they can make their own best decision because they know themselves best. So do you, are you sometimes in the position of like translating from the doctor speak oh, to yes. the, that's the main thing? Oh yes. So give us an example. Like, like what kind oh, of gosh. thing do you face? <laughs> oh, gosh. Let me think. Um, uh, oh, gosh. I can't think of anything right now. Well, I can think of some things. I'm trying to think of things that aren't too... Too, um, too personal, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to give up the yeah, secret. Yeah, but it's, it's just, you know, it's, um, you know, doctors will, they love to talk their own language. And it is, is difficult because they are talking about very specific things. I see. And they are talking about, um, I'm trying to think of an example where, you know, somebody got off, you know, on the wrong foot with the, you know, dosage or something like that. Because sometimes the doctors aren't exactly clear. Like when I worked at MD Anderson, there was a doctor that went, you know, da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. He was talking at the patient, talking, talking, talking about his medical stuff. And he goes, and you start chemotherapy on Friday. And the patient said, so I've got cancer? Oh. And uh, the doctor goes, well, and that's just what I said. And the person never understood that up to that point. They never understood what the doctor was saying. So sometimes, and also, you know, doctors will, they'll have their own philosophy. And you don't realize there's another doctor maybe with a less aggressive, more conservative approach that might fit that person's lifestyle better. And then you, you, you know, or, or people like you know a whole bunch of doctors. I know that from following your, your blogs and your posts and so on. So, um, Bonnie, thank you so much. You've given us so much information. One takeaway that I got is don't go to the hospital alone. If you are there, be the, and you are the advocate for someone, be the nice, squeaky, persistent wheel, right? Any other thing, like the last takeaway that you would want our listeners to know? Oh, gosh. Just, you know, my ideal world is where all the patients are empowered mm-hmm. and they, you know, can work as a cooperative partnership with their healthcare team. I mean, if my perfect world, that's how it would be. No one would be feeling left out. They wouldn't feel like they were left alone. They would feel like they could communicate with their doctor in their hospital and that they were on the road to the best possible life they could have. Teamwork is what I'm hearing. Yes. Ideally. Okay. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. So um, we spoke with Isabel Longoria and Bonnie Shireen today. So Bonnie is a professional patient advocate. Um, We talked about the CARE Act and what caregivers need to know when they go to the hospital to aid a loved one. Um, If you want to um, learn more about Bonnie Shireen, if you're interested in her blog, which is fascinating, by the way, or if you want to follow her on Facebook, I'm I'm hooked, Um, go to her website, which is www.houston.com 
healthadvocacy.com and, and look up for Bonnie Shireen. If you thought this podcast was helpful, or if you have friends or family who are new to caregiving, please invite them to follow the Prepare to Care podcast. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, and of course on the AARP website at www.aarp.org slash Houston PTC. That's Houston PTC. So visit our website, take the Prepare to Care podcast survey, um, and help us improve future episodes. Tell us what you are interested in learning more. Um, as always, thanks for listening and thanks for caring.